It's the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Let's get out to the T-Mobile special guest line. He writes for The Oregonian. You can read his work online at OregonLive.com. Also does radio. He is John Canzano with us here on The Big Show. John, thank you very much for a few minutes. How are you doing? Good. I love being on The Big Show. This is awesome. Hey, we really appreciate it, especially hey. because. Oh, sorry, Gordon. Excuse Jake, me. You, yes. you undersold that a little bit. Did I? John do, yeah, John, <laughs> Did John I? doesn't. John doesn't just write. He writes really, really well. He's, One of the best in the country. Well, I'll tell you what. You've you've been a voice following all this uh, for me, John. I, I'll echo Gordon there uh, throughout. The, well, really, uh, your coverage of the Pac-12, but especially recently, has been terrific. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, I think there's a lot of interest in it. I know certainly in your uh, your listening audience that I hear from a lot of fans in that area that are frustrated with the conference, and uh, I'm glad that people still care about the conference. I mean, it's I think it, it can be a great conference again one day. I really like John your uh, your column today where you listed five different things that should be talked about when the school presidents in the Pac-12 meet, but that won't be discussed. Tell our listeners a little bit about that list. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they're going to talk, obviously, the the point of the meeting today was to talk about the fall season, but there's there's some bigger underlying issues that we can all see that they should be talking about, and they should have talked about over the over the whole summer. Um, first and foremost is the timeline for the commissioner. Larry Scott's tenure winds down. His contract expires in the summer of 2022. Those media rights contracts are up in 2024. Uh, he's lost the confidence of the fan base, and, and you can tell in recent months that the presidents and chancellors are no longer trusting him to be out front by himself. Even when they made the decisions to postpone or the, you know, any, any decision they make, he's out there with, with sort of a, a chorus of people around him. So I wouldn't be shocked to see Larry Scott out early in 2021, maybe by the spring of 2021. They have to make a change there. Certainly the presidents and chancellors are focused on the pandemic, but that is a big issue. The second one is this unhealthy obsession with the Big Ten. They should talk about it. Like, I, I wrote literally, like, you know, uh, the Pac-12 is a follower. And, you know, the Big Ten announced they were going to punt the football season. The Pac-12 followed. The Big Ten said we're coming back. Here comes the Pac-12 back. We should all just be glad that the Big Ten doesn't get a tattoo of Ed Sheeran on its bicep because you'd be walking around with Utah and Colorado have Ed Sheeran on their bicep. It's no good. Third thing is the Pac-12 network. The distribution's embarrassing. That has to be talked about. They sold out their fan base. They sold it out for small distribution and less money than their peers. That should be talked about. Fourth thing is glaring. San Francisco headquarters, they're paying $8 million a year in rent. The Big Ten is the next closest. They're at $900,000 in rent. The SEC paid $300,000. This is uh, a big cost. Everybody in the Pac-12 hurts because of it. Doesn't need to be in downtown San Francisco. Should be moved to Vegas or Phoenix or Salt Lake or Portland or Seattle or the suburbs of Los Angeles or even outlying Bay Area would be better. And then the fifth thing is the brand. Brand's broken. We all know it. We talk about it on a daily basis. They have hired consulting firms. They spent piles of money. They're focused on all the wrong things. They're focused on messaging. Instead of being focused on those 12 campuses and connecting with students and alumni and bringing fans back to the conference, those are five things they need to talk about, but they won't.
John Canzano is with us talking about the Pac-12 here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. I want to focus a little bit on one of those points uh, that you made uh, about following the Big Ten. And I enjoyed your column yesterday talking about Larry Scott made this this grand announcement. I mean, Gordon and I talked about it for four consecutive hours two weeks ago or whatever it was and then basically did nothing. And then the Big Ten finally moves and, and Larry is behind, as you point out. And I, uh, I have some theories as to why, but what what – What's your theory as to why they're they're so bent on following them? Yeah, I think the academics who are in charge of the Pac-12 universities respect those Big Ten presidents and chancellors so much. They're all academics. They're not diehard football fans. I think the biggest uh, voice in the room that they probably listened to this week is Northwestern's president. They're, you know, they're seen as a top ten academic university, and Northwestern's president, which who had been against coming back and returning to play, said, hey, we've got rapid results testing. My mind has changed. If it's safe to play, then we should play. I think that really resonates with the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. I think uh, they pay attention to football, but I don't think they're unhinged, and I don't think they're hanging out at tailgates. And so I think the, they, they've followed the Big Ten for some time because of that. John, what happened to football in this conference? Because, I mean, it seems to me like the Pac-10 or Pac-8, whatever, they used to play really good football back in the day. Why Why is the Pac-12 lagging behind? Is it all Larry Scott's fault or is it the president's fault? Is it the bad hires? What is it? I think it's a combination of things, but I, I think the, the biggest factor would be money. It takes money to compete. And when you look at the television deals, the media rights deals that the Big Ten and the SEC cut, those universities, uh, let's say, for example, Vanderbilt and the SEC, gets $10 million a year last year, more than Utah or Oregon or Oregon State or UCLA. $10 million a year in media rights money. Now, we say, okay, it's $10 million. Can you overcome that? Uh, yeah, but can you overcome that when it grows to $20 million next year? And can you overcome it over the last decade where the SEC, average SEC program, had about $90 million more in media rights revenue than the average Pac-12 program? You give Oregon State $90 million, they're going to redo their stadium, they're going to recruit better, they're going to be more competitive. Uh, you give you know USC $90 million more, they'll, they'll do a little more, too. I think it, there's no mistake that the, the universities that have risen to the top in the Pac-12 are symptomatic of what's going on. It's Utah, it's Washington, it's Oregon. It's the ones that can raise money and have fan bases that will give and support that sort of offset the media rights deficit. I think it starts with money. John, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, about the college football playoff, and I'm sure there are some fans sensitive to the timing of all this up there because I think the Ducks uh, have a chance to be really, really good. But have is there any way they can get the season in in time to to compete in the college football playoff, or are they already too late? I think it's going to take the playoff having to move back, and I, I don't know that they're going to do that. They the timeline that the Big Ten laid out puts eight games in eight weeks. The Pac-12 is scrambling to make it happen. If there's any, if there's any hiccup, it's not going to happen. But I think that if you're Oregon, I, you know, you're also looking at three players who have opted out of the season. I communicated with Panay Sewell's father this morning. He lives, you know, there in Utah where he coaches high school football, and he. He's disappointed with the Pac-12 because when they made the decision for Panay to opt out and declare for the draft, they did so thinking that the Pac-12 was resolute in its in its uh, decision to to 
to not play or to push the season back. And, you know, rapid results testing came out, and like you guys are talking about, nothing was done. There was no urgency. They could have made this decision two weeks ago. I keep asking myself, what's changed? You know, the Big Ten is what's changed. They're, we're just trying to follow the Big Ten again and scramble and get a team into the playoff. But even if Oregon comes back, I doubt those three players would come back and want to play creates a problem. Of course, Oregon has some depth. I think they'll still be good, but I don't think they can be as great as they were going to be. If the Pac-12, John, starts football at the end of October, the first or second week of November, do you think they'll follow the same model that the Big Ten has been talking about, consecutive games with no buys, no room for flexibility, and then they're probably going to lose a game along the way, right? Yeah, I think you're going to see, look around the country. I mean, you've got Arkansas State had a huge victory over Kansas State last week, and this week they were supposed to play and can't because they've got a position group that's decimated. They're going to have to be really disciplined. They're going to have to take advantage of that rapid results testing. I think the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NFL have shown if you are super careful and you test regularly, you can control this, you can play. I'm with you, though. I don't think the quality of the games is going to be all that great, at least out of the gate. I think we're uh, risking losing losing a game or two, and the dirty secret is, we all know it, this is all about television money. They're trying to get that, that money that is out there and capture those uh, 50 and $60 million deficits that they're facing, and that's what it's really about. A follow-up question on that, John, is there's been a lot of talk about how much time is necessary to prepare. Some people say four weeks, some say five, some say six, some say more. What do you think? Well, I think if you've been in strength and conditioning then you can get it done in four weeks. You, and Rick Neuheisel, you know, who just went through this with the uh, the AAFL that he was coaching, they got ready in four weeks. Now, the football was a little clumsy at the beginning, but they didn't have injuries. The problem is that the Big Ten Conference schools continued to train. They continued to do strength and conditioning. They kept their students on campus. So I think they're going to hit the ground running here, and it's why they can get going earlier. Oregon, among others in the Pac-12, sent the players home. So they didn't think there was going to be a season. The conference was... Uh, resolute, And even when rapid results testing came out, the conference didn't say anything. So the coaches didn't think there was an urgency to get players back. They just said, okay, we're sticking with playing in maybe November or December or January for sure. And so you're starting from scratch, and you're hoping that the players have done the conditioning and the strength. Average coach will tell you, yes, you need eight complete weeks, strength and conditioning, then four weeks of practice. Um, I think they're going to try to fast track, obviously, uh, with the uh, decisions that they're, they're uh, making now, but um, ultimately, uh, if they really care about the safety of the students, they wouldn't be scrambling to get this done. I think there's some big questions about the soft tissue injuries we saw in the first week of the NFL and how much that has to do with the NFL not having training camp. John Canzano is with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And, John, last thing from me, and, and sorry to circle around back to, to Larry Scott and his current job status, but uh, with all the changeover in, in presidents and chancellors across the league over the last 10 years or so, where is his support coming from? Who are the voices in the room that, that still support Larry Scott? Yeah, he's lost a ton of support. The, right now the support that he has comes from Arizona State and UCLA. 
Those are the loan holdovers that were there when they hired him. The new presidents, I think, uh, have a better vision of what he is. They have a bigger understanding of the revenue in college athletics. And I give the old guard presidents a little bit of a pass because so much of this changed in the last decade, and it became about media rights. They really didn't understand it. And when the presidents 10 years ago were told, hey, you're going to get $20 million a year in your media rights deal, they went, great. Like, that's awesome. The, the sports program's no longer going to be subsidized by the student body. This is amazing. They weren't looking over at the SEC and going, wait a minute, they're getting $30 million? They weren't doing any of that. So I think the New Guard presidents have a better understanding. I've seen them more frequently at stadiums. I've talked with them more frequently. I know Oregon's Michael Schill is, he, he, he'll tell you he's not a sports fan, but he's scrambled to understand it. I appreciate that. And I think F. King Alexander, who's at Oregon State now, he came from LSU. He gets it. So I don't think Larry's got the support to get an extension. I think it's evident when they trot him out. Pay attention. If you're a listener, pay attention to when they do those Zoom videos or conference calls or, or you know, news conferences. Remember back in the day, it was Larry up front by himself. Now, not anymore. They're putting doctors alongside of him. They're putting other ADs alongside of him. Uh, you saw Mark Harlan of Utah alongside of him when they made the announcement that they were going to postpone the season. Uh, that chorus there tells me they don't have confidence in him, and I think they will make a change. So, John, you've obviously given some great advice to the Pac-12. Uh, what is the single most important thing that has to happen with this conference to elevate its status? got to get good at football. And you had, again, Larry Scott, Harvard-educated tennis player who was running the conference, and he had other uh, attorneys in charge of football, and there was no football IQ in the front office. And it frustrated the conference coaches. I talked to coaches over the last few years who said that they call and they try to talk about scheduling or they try to talk about the television or the kickoff times or the pressure, the, the things that are hurting the coaches when they're trying to be competitive, and they couldn't get anyone in the, the Pac-12 headquarters to understand. Now they've hired Merton Hanks, and I'm hopeful they let him do his job. He obviously comes with a great football resume. He'll be the first supervisor of football in the conference's history that really understands football. So I think that will help. They've got to fund the programs, and they've got to fund football. If you can get good at football, and good meaning can you get in the playoff with, with regular frequency, if you can do that, you can start mattering again. You can start fixing the brand. They also have to reconnect with the campuses. They've got to connect with the campuses. There's nobody in the headquarters that is reaching out and connecting with the individual 12 campuses. You have to do that if you're going to connect with your fans and your alumni. John, we can't thank you enough for a few minutes. Thanks for jumping on with us and keeping our listeners up to date. You guys are great. I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate all the fans out there that care so much about the conference. Thank you. Thank you, John. Be well. Thanks, guys.